Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, have you ever outrun an explosion? Every single morning. Yeah? Yeah. Ever been chased by a fireball? Yeah, every afternoon. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It, it kind of seems like that way at times, right? I mean, because we're just constantly hit over the head with this image of people outrunning explosions, outrunning fires and fireballs. It's, I mean, as long as you're consuming action films and action-oriented TV shows, it's everywhere. Well, even dramas have a bit of, you know, fire spewing forth from time to time. Mm-hmm. Well, like, yeah, I think you were mentioning even even Breaking Bad, right, which is considered uh, has been considered the, the pinnacle of uh, television in recent years. Yeah, uh, Breaking Bad will dip into a couple of the tropes that you see when it comes to fireballs. Um, specifically, I'm thinking about Walt, and I hope this isn't a spoiler. This is early on in the series. This is when he kind of takes a turn down the road. Um, this is right after he shaved his head. And he is dealing with a drug dealer named Tuco. And he has brought to the drug dealer something called mercury fulminant, which is an explosive. Now, the drug dealer doesn't know this, thinks it's a bag of meth. What does Walt do when he feels uh, threatened? He throws a little piece of this and boom <laughs> Like, the you know, the windows are blown out. There's a big fireball. Um, and it's done to great effect, right? Because at that very moment, you love Walt even more because of his science smarts and his ability to create this, uh, this sort of chemical combustion that gets him out of a jam. In reality, though, would this work? Nah. No. no. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to have like a stick of dynamite along with the um, mercury fulminate, and it just wouldn't be nearly as interesting. You have to sit there and wait for him to light the stick of dynamite. And <laughs> yeah, it's not not very cinematic. No. Um, if, for me, one of the, the earliest examples that comes to mind uh, is probably from Predator, where not only does, uh, does Schwarzenegger outrun the uh, the explosive device that the mm-hmm. defeated predator sets off on its wrist, uh, it, it's like apparently a tactical nuke that goes off essentially there in the jungle. In the jungle, which is also <laughs> key as we'll discuss, yeah, you know, roots and trees mm-hmm. and you know, everywhere, uh, he's able to outrun this this tremendous detonation, uh, and uh, you know, he's not in the sequel, but he supposedly survived. Now, I'm taking this from TVTropes.org. They say, a time bomb, super weapon, crash car, etc. is about to explode. The heroes run as fast as they can and try to leap behind shelter just as it explodes. Often features a cool shot of the heroes diving toward the camera. (laughs) And when I read that initially, I kind of felt that sort of mirror neuron motion. Like, yes, I know that. I've seen that trope so many times that I feel the motion of that sentence. Indeed, I mean another one uh, too is, of course, the, uh, the 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 badass walking away from the explosion. Uh, explosion sets off. Generally, you know, it's the the the, the guy or gal in, in your action film is so in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know there's about to be a tremendous explosion. They know that they're safe, or they just don't care. They're that they're that awesome uh, that they just walk. They're just walking, and it's exploding behind them, and they don't even care. Maybe they're even lighting a cigarette. Breaking Bad has another example of that. Yes, in fact, it's the Salamanca Terror Twins. Oh, yes. Those guys, definitely badasses. And I believe that they one of them is smoking a cigarette, and then they ignite a truck, and they walk away. And in fact, there's a YouTube video uh, that features this clip of them, and it said, the, the title of it is, Cool Guys Don't Look at Explosions. <laughs> 
indeed, and they were they were pretty cool and collected. And you know, the, you mentioned the mirror neurons, and I think that's you know when we watch somebody that's so bad and in control of their situation that they can just walk away from the explosion. I mean, that's who doesn't want that in their life to have that kind of control, that kind of de- detachment from from the stresses and explosions, uh, literal and metaphorical, in their life. Which is why you may want to break out a little board game called. Fireball Island. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I fondly remember this. Uh, 1986 board game published by Milton Bradley, uh, which I had. I, I received it for Christmas, I think, one year. And uh, you, you'll have to check out the commercial for this. I'll include a link on the landing page in this episode uh, because it was this brilliant, like, 3D board. It's, mm-hmm. it's essentially an island, like a volcanic island. And impossibly, even as a kid, I knew this was just made no sense. Uh, but some ancient civilization has built this, like, demon-shaped temple thing on top of the volcano, <laughs> right. like you do. Yeah. And then this thing would turn, and it would spit fireballs, red marbles, uh, down these different pathways. And, of course, the, the people playing the game are trying to move their little dudes along the pathway, and I think they were collecting treasure. And if the marble came down and hit you, it would knock you all the way back down towards the beginning. But uh, but yeah, even then I had a lot of questions like, what is this fireball we're out running? Is this just is this lava? Is this is this flame? Is it is it an explosion? What's going on here? What am I trying yeah. to outrun? Why in the commercial is there actual flame coming from the ball? And mine is just a big marble. Yeah, no flames. Um, I was looking at this on eBay. They are fetching up to three hundred bucks ones that are intact Whoa. with all the pieces. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive, isn't I, it? I wish I knew where mine was. Right. All right, so we're going to discuss this in today's episode. Now, uh, we're not going to get into the fancy magical fireball idea, but we're going to get into sort of our equally magical and fanciful um, almost subconscious ideas about explosions and fire. Most of us do not encounter wildfires or explosions in our daily life. We encounter them on TV. We kind of get this idea about how they work, and we take for granted the uh, the, the reactions that are taking place. So... First, we're going to talk about wildfires. Then we're going to talk about explosions. And we're going to talk about our ability or inability, rather, to outrun either of these forces. Now, before we launch in, I want to ask you, Robert, because this is a good sort of dinner party question. Okay. Uh, what is your relationship to fire? My relationship to fire? Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, um, the uh, the lighting of stoves with the little click-click mm-hmm. thing. Um, the lighting of candles when necessary. Uh, and that's pretty much pretty much it. Okay, because yeah. I have these memories as a kid, and my my babysitter, who is a giant hippie, loved mm-hmm. her. But she would have us um, put our hands through the candle to see Ooh. if we could exert some sort of magic force on it and not burn ourselves. So that's sort of my first memories of that and trying to capture and harness fire. And I think it's one of the reasons why when we see these tropes, uh, we get sort of excited, not just because of the mirror neurons, but because... It calls back to something primal, like, oh, yes, here's this this element. And could we, in fact, walk away from it if it were to try to consume us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely, I remember being into, like, matches and fireworks at some point when I was a kid. And, and I mean, and the, like, the fire, uh, the flamethrower is another example of something that, like, from a kid level, like, sci-fi, action movie level, like, flamethrowers are awesome. But then if you look at the reality of flamethrowers, they are hellacious, awful devices, uh, awful weapons. Um, so there's always a divide between that. But we can't help but but uh, but find something magical in the flickering flame. So let's kick off with wildfire. Uh, and let's we're just going to 
throw it out there. Humans versus fire. Speed. How does it, how does it pan out? Well, first, let's look at a human. According to the National Council on Strength and Fitness, the average human can run at a speed of 15 miles per hour or 24 kilometers per hour for a short period of time. Okay? And as far as records go, the world's fastest runner, Usain Bolt, has clocked nearly 28 miles per hour or 45 kilometers per hour in the 100-meter sprint. Okay. Meanwhile, our friend the wildfire travels at speeds up to 14 miles an hour or 23 kilometers an hour, and it does so by consuming everything in its path, from naturally occurring vegetation to homes or even human beings. So in a short-term race, without any complicating factors, the average human probably has a slight leg up, and more gifted runners can probably smoke the, the fire completely. But it's those complications uh, that, are, that are definitely worth taking into account when trying to outrun a wildfire. Right, because these don't occur in a vacuum, as we know. So complicating factors would include mm, the fact that you're probably running through unfamiliar terrain, right? If you're mm. out in a forest, you probably don't know it like the back of your hand. Um, so that can add to the confusion when you're trying to navigate. In addition, a thick fog of smoke could be rolling through the area, making it hard to determine the best path forward, particularly when the wind shifts direction, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the heat from the fire, because it turns out that many more people die from smoke inhalation and dehydration than from actual burns. So all of these things are making this this uh, this maze through a natural disaster that much more difficult. Yeah, and there are just so many variables. Like I, I can't help but think if you were if you were trying to to map and program the movement of a wildfire in say a board game or a computer game, there would, there would just be so many variables. So many dice rolls would have to take place uh, because because uh, just the slightest change in the wind, for instance can alter the course of the fire. Suddenly it's, it's, moving, uh, it's moving to your left instead of to your right, etc. And then you have to take into account the fuel that it's consuming. You have uh, grasses that are, that are burning easily on dry, hot, windy days, branches, twigs, and leaves that are serving as, 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 as tremendous fuel, creating more heat. And then you have dry tree bark that can carry the flames up to the treetops uh, burning more material and causing the fire to break and spread. So it's uh, it, th- 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 there's there's so much chaos in the system. It's it's difficult to map. Certainly difficult to map on the ground dealing with all of these complications. And yet you can try to be strategic about it. So if you could figure out which way the fire's moving, and you situated yourself parallel to it, and this is called the flank of the fire then that puts you in a much better position, as opposed to, say, in front of the fire, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a duh. Um, another thing you could do is you could look for a path with little or no vegetation. So a rock, gravel, or dirt path would ensure that you're not surrounding yourself with tinder. All of those dry branches and twigs and leaves, that would create a little bit more forest um, tinder there for you. And then you would want to move downhill if you could. That's because a fire will burn faster uphill. Ah. Yeah, that's because the flames can easily reach more unburnt fuel in front of the fire. And then radiant heat preheats the fuel in front of the fire, making the fuel even more flammable. And that's not to say that any of these strategies are a guarantee of safety. In the How Stuff Works article, Can You Outrun a Fire by... Allison Cooper, she points out that the Yarnell Hill, Arizona wildfire in June 2013 killed 19 members 
of the Granite Mountain hotshots. And the hotshots, of course, are um, they have advanced strategies and they are experts in maintaining um, the fires and extinguishing them. So what happened during this particular wildfire is that the the wildfire was aided by 50 mile per hour or 80 kilometers per hour downdrafting winds of an approaching thunderstorm. We're oh. talking about covering 100 yards in 19 seconds. Oh. And the firefighters who were in a box canyon were trapped when the fire essentially rushed into it. So we're talking about a, a dangerous and at times unpredictable force here. It's not, not the, not the fire in your hearth. It's not the fire on your barbecue. This is a, uh, this is fire that is quite literally wild, consuming materials, shifting around, and it's easy to get caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. Indeed. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to look at what it would take to outrun an explosion. All right, we're back. Outrunning an explosion. Possible? Impossible? I think you will find it is the, the latter of those two options, despite, again, how often we see it done in our, our TVs and movies. Uh, let's start with just uh, just getting down to brass tacks here. What is an explosion? What is an explosive, even? Um, all explosives are little more than elements that burn or decompose at an incredible speed. Um, and explosions occur when a large amount of energy is released into a small volume of area in a very short time. So it might be hydrothermal, uh, you know, naturally occurring in the earth. It might be chemical arising uh, from, say, a man-made uh, explosion. Or it might uh, even be nuclear. Now, the reaction produces a massive amount of heat and gas in a very short period of time. The, an explosive chemical reaction breaks down compounds into highly compressed gases, as well as heat resulting from compound molecules uh, being blasted apart. Then the gas expands rapidly, and the heat speeds up individual gas particles to increase expansion speed even more. And this rapidly expanding gas is is called a pressure wave, and it's key to any explosive's destructive power. As the press, if the pressure wave is fast enough to break the sound barrier, it also generates a powerful shock wave. So, anytime you have a land explosion, uh, a real life land explosion, uh, from a hand grenade, stick of dynamite, exploding car, you name it. Uh, you're going to have a situation where the blast can just almost instantaneously burn skin, tear apart limbs, propel objects and shrapnel through the air. Um, it's, a, it's a dangerous situation. And, and uh, again, we often sort of fall into a magical way of thinking about the explosion as just this sort of blast, this, this big fiery thing that happens and not this, um, this, this really fast chemical reaction that just sends out this pressure wave. Yeah, to illustrate that, let's look at a C4 explosive. Now, this is typically used by the United States Armed Forces. And when it is detonated, gases are released from the explosive at the rate of 26,400 feet per second or 8,050 meters per second. Wow. Yeah, which means that if you are within 24,000 feet of it, you're toast within just one second. So that really, I think that shatters the illusion yeah. pretty quickly. Unless you're watching The Flash or Superman or something, it's it's putting it outside the, the normal range. Now, some other explosives like a pipe bomb. Well, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security says the minimal safe distance from a 5-pound or 2.2-kilogram bomb pipe bomb is 1,200 feet or 360 meters. 
And then you'll see as the size of the bomb goes up, so too does the distance that you should be away from it. So a 50-pound, 22-kilogram briefcase bomb, you should be about 1,850 feet away or 564 meters. Uh, A tractor-trailer bomb, uh, that would be about 9,300 feet or 2,835 meters that you would want to be away from it. So... Again, the question arises, could you get from point A to point B the safe zone in any of those scenarios? And it's just not likely, even if you are Usain Bolt, Mm -hmm. who could cover 200 meters in 19 seconds, um, which is about 34 feet per second. That's still not going to get you to where you need to be. Indeed. I mean, pretty much the, the only scenario that, that even works uh, from any kind of film or action situation would be if there's a timer and you're, you're not outrunning the explosion itself, but your, uh, your character is attempting to get to that, uh, that, that, mini, that minimum evacuation distance uh, before it goes off. But even then, uh, the minimum evac- evacuation distance is just the range at which life-threatening injury from the blast or fragmentation hazards are unlikely. Uh, so a person within the safe zone of, uh, of uh, surrounding this explosion, they can still suffer injuries that are not life-threatening. Uh, you can still get hit by shrapnel. You can still get, be knocked down by the shockwave. Um, all of that is still in play, uh, which could su- significantly... Uh, uh, impact your badass walk away from the explosion. Right, because the badass walk away, you don't tend to see the hero or the anti-hero with pock marks of, you know, yeah. damage done by the shrapnel. Yeah, they, or hearing loss or anything. No, they're completely intact. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, again, it's obvious, but this is not very realistic. Even the countdowns when we see them depicted in TV and film aren't being true to the actual time that's passing. Yeah, and uh, and it goes without saying, a lot of times when you have a really cool explosion uh, in a film, you end up kind of seeing it in slow motion anyway. So you get this kind of false idea about what's happening. You just see like this fireball expanding, and uh, and you know we just we just don't. Most of us do not have explosions occurring in our daily life and have any kind of real. Uh, you know, real down-to-earth understanding about what's happening uh, as, as far as the chemical reaction goes. Well, and if you did, you probably would have a, a pretty strong case of PTSD, right? Right. Um, so this, this unfortunately, is the reality for some people. And we were talking about this earlier. Probably one of the more realistic depictions of explosions is something like the Hurt Locker. Oh, yes. Where they do quite a bit of really good camera work to try to bring some sort of verisimilitude to... What is happening on screen? Yeah, they did a great job at, at, at also making you feel that bombs, uh, and, and particularly the explosive devices that they were diffusing, are are nasty weapons. These are not these are not fun explosions, and uh, it gets into that flamethrower era I was discussing earlier. You know, there's just a, there's this huge disconnect between the the cool explosions, the cool weapons uh, that we encounter in our our, our fictional media versus the uh, the generally hellacious reality of their use. All right, we are going to take a break. When we get back, we are going to tend to some listener mail. All right, we're back. Uh, indeed, let us call over the robot here and uh, and catch up on a on a little bit of listener mail. We we received so many great comments from you guys and gals, and uh, you know, sadly, we, we don't always have time to uh, to read them here on the podcast. But, but, uh, but today that have. changes. Indeed. 
All right, we have an email, and I'm not going to share her name because she did not say whether or not we could share it, but she said, Hey, guys, have you ever researched how secondhand embarrassment works? Because I suffer from it pretty bad, and I can't find a lot about it scientifically. And I thought that was that's really interesting. We have um, an upcoming episode on our to-do list about shame. And it also made me think about empathy. And I know I've mentioned this before, but there's a book called The Empathy Exams. It's really great. It's a bunch of essays that deal with empathy and, and how it frames our world and even how it affects our bodies, our health. So guys, check it out if you'd like. All right, I have another uh, bit of listener mail here. This one comes from uh, an anonymous listener, uh, or a listener that wishes to remain anonymous. It says, Hi, Robert and Julie. Stumbled upon your podcast by accident, and I'm glad that I did. It's quite interesting, to say the least. Recently, I've been catching up on some episodes, and I just finished listening to the one you did about the zen of pain, and one thing came to mind. I have chronic, almost constant pain right next to my right shoulder blade, as well as in my right hand. It's not something I enjoy by any means, far from it. However, the things that seem to help me with it are certain exercises. Uh, they were prescribed by a professional, uh, which also cause pain, quite a bit of pain, putting a lot of pressure on my shoulder blade to the point of almost crying out with pain. But this helps, too, for some strange reason. I also know a few other people who feel the same way about some of the pains they are having. From extremely unscientific observations, it would seem as if physical pain not only uh, helps us reach a liberation for, uh, from our guilt uh, and other bad feelings, but also from physical pain. I just thought it was interesting observation and wanted to share. Maybe you could do an episode on that, too, in the future. Keep on podcasting and have a wonderful day. An anonymous listener from Canada. Hmm. Uh, I don't know that we had talked about pain in terms of transformation in a more positive way before, Mm -hmm. but that's an interesting angle. Yeah, I mean... I have noticed, like in just doing stretches and stuff, and if I if I have you know ultimately you know minor sores going on uh, with my with my muscles, like sometimes you end up going into a position or a stretch that you're you are causing a bit of tension there, but your the tension is kind of combating another lingering pain. It's uh, indeed there's a there's there's a, there's a lot of complexity in uh, in in the 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 the, the pain pleasure uh, system. That's what I think is interesting about yoga. Um, not so much that sometimes you feel pain, and in fact, if you feel too much pain, you should definitely back off. But when you're in a pose and you're pushing yourself, there's a level of discomfort that they a yoga teacher will often say is your opportunity to dwell with that discomfort and not keep pushing it away, but sort of meeting it. And a lot of the discomfort in your in your body can translate to the discomfort that you feel in your mind. And we've talked about um, how emotional pain and physical pain overlap each other quite a bit. So it's an interesting exercise in and of itself. Uh, I wanted to read this next email. This is from Emily, and she says, Hello, Julie and Robert. I wanted to say good job on the Blue podcast. I listened to it while I was coloring pages for a comic book. Part of being a colorist means a lot of color theory, so I thought you guys touched on the subject very well. thought I might add a couple of ideas if you do a few other color-related podcasts. There have been studies I've seen saying how certain stores or fast food restaurants will use color to make people hungry but not wish to stay too long in the restaurant. Also, I don't remember if there's been a podcast on the mantis shrimp, but these guys are extraordinary little creatures of color. Here's a comic I love, and she's talking about the oatmeal. She says, and uh, I'd love to point people to for a little bit of information on them. Also, it's a fun read. And uh, this is 
So great. Um, a couple of things about this. One is we are planning a podcast episode that has to do with sensory manipulation and restaurants certainly are within that. It's a really big, uh, tangled topic. So when we unravel a bit, we will definitely cart it out for you guys. So I want to let Emily know that we are working on that. The second thing is the, the mantis shrimp is great. The, the oatmeal comic takes this on and talks about how the mantis shrimp has 16 color sensitive receptor cones, which is amazing. They're, they're an entirely different sensory world unto themselves. Yeah, that, that oatmeal uh, comic in particular is great. And if I remember correctly, I think that one uh, followed on the heels of a really, uh, really solid Radio Lab episode where they talked about the mantis shrimp. So that was kind of like the, the, the those two elements came together to really propel the mantis shrimp into its current uh, uh, internet celebrity status. Yeah, the Matthew Inman, the creator of the oatmeal, he also has this great bit about how the mantis shrimp is one of the most creatively violent creatures on <laughs> Earth. And I won't give it away. You need to go check out the comic to see that. All right, here's a little bit of listener mail from listener Sophia. Sophia says, I recently found your excellent podcast and was immediately hooked, starting with the episode about rats. I am, in fact, listening to your podcast right now. I was catching up, and I came across the Mad Gasser and Mass Hysteria episode, which in passing talked about a phenomenon among schoolgirls at a boarding school. This phenomenon appeared after Christmas break and manifested itself in cold-like symptoms, fever, trouble walking, etc. You explained how this was caused by the stress of leaving their families after seeing them for only a short period of time. I have, in fact, experienced this myself. Last January, right after I had moved back to school after spending time with my family at Christmas break, I began experiencing a myriad of unsettling symptoms. I had a loss of balance, a sensitivity uh, to even weak sunlight, to the point that my pupils would virtually disappear when I was outside, migraines, chills, and even fainting spells. This lasted for about a month and a half, and interestingly, only a when I found out that my mom was going to visit for my graduation in May. Thank you for clearing up any uh, paranoia about my symptoms, as I was very con- concerned about them for a while and thought it might be some fearful or nefarious d- disease manifesting itself. Your show is amazing and very informative, and I will be a listener for a very long time to come. Listening faithfully, Sophia. Thanks, Sophia. Um, we really appreciate you sharing with us your own experience, which I think really underscores that whole um, body-mind connection here when it comes to empathy and to emotional contagion. Indeed. I mean, this is definitely one of those subjects uh, that we uh, we are ultimately approaching as outsiders. So anytime we can get that insider perspective on a topic, uh, we love it. All right. Uh, the next one is from Katie. She says, I don't have a specific request. I just want to say thanks for the great show. I love how often gender and sex comes up. I could listen to you two talk for hours about the amazing biodiversity of sex organs, sexual reproduction and sexual behavior. And you always connect it so well with the human bias and baggage that comes along with sex, sexuality and gender. On second thought, maybe I do have a topic suggestion. Have you done an episode on sex changes, not specifically in humans, but in animals in general? I feel like the subject comes up, but only tangentially in other subjects. It seems like you'd have fun with the subject. Um, I agree. Yeah, that sounds like a, like an excellent uh, topic to uh, to jump into. Yeah, thanks, Heidi. We actually have on the HowStuffWorks.com website... Uh, we have an article called How Gender Reassignment Works, and we have an article called Why Some Species Change Sex. So um, I certainly think we should put the latter on our to-do list. Indeed, indeed. 
All right, so there you have it. A few uh, listener mails to uh, satisfy the robot and uh, and hopefully uh, listeners as well. And, uh, hey, if you want to check out more of our podcast episodes, past and, hey, maybe even future, you want to check out our videos, our blog posts, links out to our social media accounts, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is our central homepage, and that is where you will find all of our things. In the meantime, send us your thoughts, and you can do that by emailing us at stuff to blow your mind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 